to actually focus on God this morning. To actually focus on what He means to us, every individual here as a person. So just for a couple of minutes, I just want you to initially, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you to imagine that you're in a room alone with God and that he's there in person however you imagine him to look and that he's looking at you and he has one question
upon us to actually open our eyes and raise them to heaven. Lift your hands if you feel to, but start to just thank God, to give him praise for what he's done. Mighty God, we just praise you. We lift up the name of your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. We give thanks for our healing. We give thanks for our salvation. We give thanks for what we have asked for. We believe in faith that it is coming to pass as we speak. We speak healing into our lives, mighty God. We speak provision into our lives through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are whole. We are triumphant. We are your children. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We are excited to be in your presence. We are excited to be your hands and feet on this earth. We are the army of God. We are the children of God. Come on, let's give him thanks this morning. Let's praise his name. Come on, give him a clap offering this morning. Call out, call out, mighty God, I am yours. I am yours. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, mighty God. Holy Lord. Wonderful Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. One thing we do every Sunday in our church, without fail, except when I forget. (laughs) I am, after all, only human. (laughs) Is we have an altar call to invite people to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, to actually change their life to become a follower of Jesus Christ. We usually do this at the end. A lot of people, I think, believe we do it at the end because... They sort of think that somehow I believe that my preaching convinces people to actually change their ways and follow Christ. Now, I'd love to think that too. <laughs> but the thing is that it's, it's not me, and my intention is never to persuade people into the kingdom of God. Because do you, who knows, if you can persuade people into the kingdom, somebody else can persuade people out of the kingdom. And so it's not a question of persuasion, it's a question of what God is doing in our hearts because it's not a mental decision eventually um, we have to make a mental decision but it needs to follow the decision of our heart and so I believe now is as good a time as any and so I'm going to do that right now I'm going to ask you all just to bow your heads once more and close your eyes and if you're here and it may be for the first time you may never have been in church before but you can feel there's a presence the spirit of God here and you want to actually be involved with that spirit or you may have been in church many times but you've never actually taken that step of saying okay I've heard people talking about this relationship with God I've heard people talking about walking with God I want to actually make a decision to bring that into my life and actually state for myself that I am going to be a follower of Jesus Christ now all that takes is actually a statement to God we call it a prayer but really that's all it is it's it's stating out loud saying God I'm from this moment forth going to follow you I'm going to call you Lord I'm going to trust you as my saviour and God takes that as permission to come into your life and start working in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit to put you on a path to a greater relationship with Him. 
Now, if you have never done that before and you want to do that this morning, while every eye is closed, every head bowed, nobody's looking around, I want you to lift your hand high right now so that I can see it. And I'd love to pray that prayer with you. A short, simple prayer inviting you to have Jesus in your life. Is there anyone here at all who's never done that before who'd like to do that this morning, right now? Now, you may have been in church before may have even made that decision before but you recognize that you're not living it you're not following through well guess what god isn't the god of the second chance he's the god of however many chances you're prepared to give him so even if you've made that decision before i would love to pray with you again to re-invite you back into god's embrace so that he can walk with you Is there anybody here this morning who wants to make that decision again to reaffirm their relationship? Just pop your hand up so I can see it. We'll pray together. Excellent. Everyone open their eyes. Now just raise your elbows to shoulder level. Move your shoulders back. Take a deep breath. Okay, put them down again. That's it. Now you've, now you've stretched a bit. Actually, there's another group of people I want to pray for before I begin. Is, is this all right, this, this praying and stuff? I, I know I haven't, I haven't preached anything yet, but I just feel that there's a, there's a great presence of God here at the moment. And who knows that if you're feeling that, it's, it's, it's great to actually operate out of that, that spirit. Um, is Kyle here? Kyle, come out here, Kyle. Chris, are you, Chris, Chris Young. Come on, you too. Tina, Tina, come on. Morella, Morella. Yep. Um, got a whole list of people here. It's all right, you can just face me. You don't need to, to face them. They're, they're scary. Stephen, Stephen here. Uh, Ada. David Britton, Michelle Wood. You can just, you can squeeze up. You can get a bit cuddly. It's all right. Because I was praying and and thinking about people in the church and and your names popped into my head as very naughty people. No, no, sorry. Scrap that. Take that off. No, I really really felt uh, a couple of scriptures that I felt... that God wanted to encourage you guys with and the first of those is uh, Ephesians 4.13 which says with Christ's strength in me I can do anything and I really felt a burden for the fact that that in in every one of you and I don't know what it is because God didn't reveal that to me but there's something in 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 your past that may be your distant past that may be really recent that was a disappointment that was a a failure that was a, a problem that you suffered over and it's holding you back and I believe God wanted me to, to tell you that if you lean into him whatever happened in the past apart from learning from doesn't affect your future because in, in the book of Timothy he says you were created not with a spirit of fear but with, with a sound mind mind of discipline and 
the mind of overcoming. And he wants to tell you this morning that you are overcomers. Can I get, um, if you can see somebody here from your, your connect group and you're a connect group leader, can I get you just to come out here, the connect group leaders and, and support these guys? And the rest of you, if you just want to reach out your hands and, and pray with these people.
Lord, I ask your blessing right now on these people. I thank you, Lord, that you take their burdens. You take their problems. I thank you that you fill their, their minds and their hearts with the secrets of their future success. I thank you, Lord, that what they ask for will be found. What they seek will appear in their minds. The answers they want, the solutions they're looking for are right there. Need to do is ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can return to your seats. I think it's good just following on from that to to think about what I preached on last week. And if you weren't here on last weren't here last week, I'll recap quickly what we talked about uh, in two Timothy. No, it wasn't in two Timothy. It was in Galatians uh, two eleven, and it says, "When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face because what he did was wrong." And you imagine this sort of staring match that goes on between Peter and Paul. You know that thing with a flyaway, Peter? No, never. <laughs> Whoever did that as a kid, that was the thumb one. Flyaway Peter, flyaway Paul, nothing to do with the apostles, I'm fairly sure. But when they were face to face, it's possible that they actually wanted to fly away. Um, and so Peter had made this basic mistake when it came to spreading the gospel message. And if we look at that mistake we can see that it was essentially the sin of nationalism. He was a Jew. And he'd got this wrong impression in his head that to actually be right with God, you had to make other people Jewish. He knew this was wrong, but he'd got caught up in this, this nationalism because of the opinions of other people. Now, nationalism is just another form of legalism. And legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. And legalism always results in two things. The psychological problems of pride and fear. And the social problems of exclusion and strife. So it excludes people from others and introduces tension and arguments. And some of those, unfortunately, still exist in today's church. The first, one, the first one that's fairly obvious is what's called sectarianism. Who knows that's not a way to prune the roses? And it's not actually a sect, although that's how sects begin. It's separating ourselves out because of the distinctives of our practice and the different things that we believe. And I covered this last week that we're very prone to actually look at the differences. Our church has certain policies that other churches don't. And guess what? They're our policies. But they're not God's policies. They're just ours. But to say because you don't have the same policies as us, therefore you're not right with God, is very easy to do. But wrong. Don't do it. Um, because, and the reason we do it is because is we like to demonstrate that our church is best. 
I mean, you know, we, we go to the hills, we listen to their music, and our music team just says, yeah, well, they're better than us. They're really good. No, they, they, and, you know, we're all a bit guilty of this. It's like, yeah, I reckon we do that better, and uh, yeah, theirs isn't quite so hot, and, you know, our lighting's really far superior. And we compare. And the, the reason we do it is because, if you think about it, it's just to make ourselves feel good. Because that's not the issue. You know, the worship's great. The presence of God was there. Who cares whether sort of some of them are taller than us or, you know, their microphones are a different brand or, or whatever it is. But we like to make these comparisons to make ourselves feel good. See, we're not so bad after all because, you know, we've got Sennheiser microphones. And people do strange things. But that's sectarianism. Don't do it. The second one is to bring nationalistic or class-based or racist attitudes in from the world into church easy to do we all know christians who belong to groups or personality types that prior to coming to church we'd have had nothing to do with you know there's those people who are really loud at parties i would have avoided them like the plague (laughs) except my wife's one and my son-in-law and uh, but church brings all of us together and if we keep those distinctions if we keep those dislikes in our heart then we form barriers inside the church Uh, i mean you have problems where working class christians may have a disdain for people who may be better off Um, you've got people who in in the church who are very talented and sometimes they they give people who aren't so talented a bit of a hard time i can remember being in a church where to get on the worship team was really difficult because a lot of the musicians were actually professional musicians they actually played gigs outside of church and and made their livelihood from music and they wouldn't let other people who didn't have that professional background get involved in the worship isn't that right Barry <laughs> and there, there was a there was a distinction there which wasn't wasn't helpful um, and so there there are all of these things and Christians handle this in in well-mannered ways we're very polite about it, but we are nonetheless discriminatory and adding to the gospel of grace. And the most subtle way, the last one, is we take our own preferences too seriously. Now, churches who have vibrant, involving music, where we sing loudly, we cry out, we get excited about God, we, we tend to be a little looking down the nose at churches that might have organ music, which is a little more quiet perhaps a bit reflective we sort of think well they can't really be getting into God I mean it's boring but on the other hand they're looking at us thinking those frivolous Pentecostals stand there waving their hands around they they don't spend any time in reflection how can they be connected to God it's different That's, that's it end of story it's different different people get into relationship with God in different ways and we, should, we need to respect that. So if we're going to stop all of this division in the church, how do we go about it? How do we respond or do we just react? Because reactions usually are sort of like, it's when, and you know, I know you can't see this from the back, but if I hit Brendan's knee with a reflex, his, his leg reacts and it twitches. Can you hear that on the microphone? I was hoping to hear the creak from his knee joint, but he's younger than me. So it's how Paul handles it that is the secret to 
overcoming these problems in our lives, even in the modern church. See, Paul sees the principle behind what Peter's doing. Peter's changed his eating habits because he's afraid of public opinion. So Paul could have gone to Peter and he could have shirt-fronted him and said, you're doing the wrong thing. Stop it. And Peter, or Brendan, could have got upset and sort of seen that Paul's right, but he wasn't very polite. And who knows that even when somebody's right and you're wrong, you don't want to admit it. That's just me. Okay. Well, I... (laughs) Yes, I've dug a hole for myself with that question, haven't I? Paul sees something deeper than that. In speaking to Peter about it, he points to the principle behind it rather than pointing to his change in behaviour. And basically he does three things. And we can see it, in first of all, in Galatians 2.15, he says, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. But we know that God has come for the Gentiles as well. So Paul is saying here, we're different from these people, but God is having fellowship with both groups. Therefore, the fact that we are different groups has no bearing on God's relationship with us. Then he says in 2.16, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be, might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So he's telling Peter, although you are a good and devout Jew, that in itself has nothing to do with God's salvation of your soul. And thirdly, in fact he goes back to in Galatians 2.14, says, Since you are a Jew by birth and having discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make the Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? So he's saying, in other words, even to you it's obvious, because you're acting out of it, that laws and traditions have nothing to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's gone a bit beyond saying to Peter, you're a fool and you've stuffed up because you've, gone, you've been hypocritical. He's shown Peter that what he's doing is based on his misunderstanding of the principle that he is loved by God. Pure and simple. That he was saved because God loved him. And there was no more to it than that. It's by God's grace. And so... Paul just doesn't simply say that racism or nationalism or or classism is a sin, which it is. He uses the gospel to show Peter the, the root of his mistake. He says the roots of racism are a resistance to the gospel of salvation. Do you know, racism is actually against the gospel. Because it's a continuation of works righteousness. It's actually looking for something in one part of our lives to make us feel better than somebody else which justifies us before God in some way makes us either better or more righteous than somebody else who knows that when you mention the word righteous there is no such thing as more I mean it's a bit like being um, 
uh, I've got to be careful what things I use here. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Actually, even notice that we used two words in the, in the last song this morning. We used forever and forevermore. And I thought that was interesting. If it's forever, how can there be more than forever? And yet we have a word that actually describes it because it's actually a heartfelt thing to, to, to actually express how we feel about you know, God's love for us. But it's actually impossible. This, you know, it's like saying infinity and beyond. You know, there is no beyond infinity. Infinity stretches further than beyond. And yet, but we, we try to add little things. You know, we are justified by faith in Christ and the fact that I'm five foot ten and three quarters. And anybody else who isn't exactly my height obviously isn't saved by the grace of God. Are you looking and saying, well, that's really silly? Well, it is. But we do that in lots of subtle ways where we discriminate against people in a gospel sense because of their differences. Paul's approach actually makes all the difference. He doesn't say you're breaking the rules, even though he was. He's saying you've forgotten the gospel. He's saying your gracious welcome into Christ was just that, the grace of God. He said, don't forget that. Who remembers when they were saved? Who remembers doing something really good just to get saved? No one. And yet when it comes to dealing with other people, we forget that God accepted us. And apart from me, none of you were perfect when that happened. Which is what you're all thinking. But we're all humbled by the grace of God. Paul didn't focus on the sinful behaviour that Peter had, but rather the attitude of self-righteousness that lay beneath that attitude. And that's how as Christians, we're actually called to oppose people who want to change that gospel when we're trying to motivate people by urging them to see their riches and love in Christ then you're pointing to their value and their dignity but when you try to motivate people by threatening them you probably feel little respect for them have you noticed that? when you feel that somebody's wrong and you want to point out that they're wrong their wrongness makes you respect them less well why are you thinking that way? are you stupid or something? very respectful language or you've, you've got the wrong end of the stick or you're dumb you say, oh, how stupid can you get fancy believing that don't you read your bible you probably don't even pray you're a horrible Christian you really are now let me tell you what you need to be doing who's going to listen at that point N- nobody because basically you, you want to slug them they've just come and insulted every belief you have called you stupid and then expect you to take on board their ideas instead of saying hey we were saved by grace I remember my own salvation there was nothing I could do how were you saved what was your salvation like remember that then you can say well, why would you add to that why would you add to what God has given you when in God we are sufficient it's not a question of whether we're right or wrong it's how we actually approach the message that we're preaching we can use God's grace as a motivator 
we can actually criticize sharply and directly but if the other person perceives we're on their side they'll listen and a lot of cultures that come to Australia struggle with the idea that we have an adversarial system in in business uh, our legal system it's actually if if you go into business it's you against them if you have a legal battle it's you against them there are some countries or some cultures where the whole idea is not to be on the opposite side and some of you are looking confused it's like well how can you do that Surely if you're going to have an argument, somebody's got to be on the opposite side. Is this the room for an argument? An argument is not simple gainsaying of of what what the other person is saying. But we can't imagine it because our mindset automatically springs to this idea of adversarial conflict. That if somebody disagrees with it, with us, they're on the other side. Now if you think about it, that's really silly because I can guarantee that if I brought out a a particular scripture and started to ask everybody what they they thought that that scripture meant and how they should act upon that scripture I would get several dozen different replies and it would turn out that none of us actually would agree completely on what that scripture meant to us now does that mean that we should therefore break into lots of groups and start fighting about what it means no because we understand that our experience of Christ and our experience of reading God's word makes us all slightly different our experience is actually different and therefore we accept that because it doesn't alter what God is doing inside of us it just makes it slightly different viva la difference and so in church we don't actually have an adversarial attitude to everything and so we need to take that attitude into our dealings with people about the gospel it's not us against them it's actually we're together but we need guidance from one another we're not against one another we're for each other but we're making sure that as we are for each other we're all going in the same direction that we're all actually believing the basic correct gospel the fact is that the grace of Jesus Christ has saved us and there is nothing we can add to that or take away from it simple as that and that's how Paul applies the argument to Peter and guess what we know that it worked because Peter recognized his error and changed his behavior so we know that Paul actually won him over and so we need to actually find that in our own lives because see Christians are really good at guilt trips and it usually goes something like this you would do this if you were really committed committed Christians do this they read the Bible for an hour a day they pray for three hours a day and if you're not doing this therefore fill in the blanks you're not a committed Christian and we do this subtly you know, have, you, have you read, uh, have, have you read uh, James chapter 4 no really so what, what sort of Bible reading you're not just in the Old Testament or something are you everybody knows you should be reading James chapter 4 and how does the other person feel do they feel oh that sounds really good I'd better, I'd better read James chapter 4 no they think 
oh, I'm, I'm not a very good Christian because I've, I've not been doing a good job. I didn't even never heard of the book of James, never mind chapter 4. And, and we impose a guilt on people and that, they don't get excited about reading the Bible. They just feel guilty about the fact they're not a good enough Christian. James is actually a great book to read, by the way. I have read the book of James and it is extremely frustrating, so you need to be in a good mood when you read it and you need to be extremely bold. And anyway, it's not very interesting. You wouldn't like it. My father used to use that on me all the time. He used to give me books and they'd be really thick and he said, no, you couldn't read that. It's too thick. It's probably boring. And then he'd leave it there. And I'd look at it and I'd think, doesn't look that thick. It might not be boring. And so I'd open it up in the middle and I'd read five pages. If it wasn't boring, I'd start at the beginning. And he got me to read hundreds of books that way. Here's another one. Uh, no, it's not like... Did you like that one? No, this one's totally different. You won't like this one. And he'd put it down and leave it. And after a while, he didn't even have to do that. He'd just bring in a book, look at it, put it down. I just read them. <laughs> because... He, he didn't have to say anything. He didn't make me feel guilty. You're not reading. Don't you know that readers are leaders? You should be reading books. Why aren't you reading more books? No, he just planted a, a seed. He said, yeah, these books, good, good for adults, kids. Nah, you wouldn't like it. And we need to be doing the same with our Christian friends. We can get excited about what we're doing, but we need to be excited about what they're doing as well. Now, I've been reading the book of James. Have you read the book of James? No, didn't even know there was a book. Yeah, it's in the New Testament. I found it the other day. I was just searching at random and there it was. It's after the book of, um, what is it after? Hebrews? Corinthians? Anybody? Anybody got a Bible with a, an index? Hebrews. Oh, phew. that's a good guess. So we need to be motivated to actually change how we react to what we see as differences in the body of Christ. Paul saw something which was very serious, but he didn't attack people's behaviour. He asked people to look at the motivation behind that behaviour and took them straight to the gospel. said, hey, this is the gospel you were saved under. You remember that salvation? Wasn't it great to know that it was the grace of God alone that got you saved? That nothing you could do, good or bad, can affect that salvation because it was grace alone. And on remembering that, why would you want to do all these other things? See, in our shoes, Paul would say, remember the grace that God has showered on you. What does living out and enjoying that grace look like in this situation? Doesn't that sound like a much nicer way of saying you're wrong? Remember the grace God has showered on you. What does living out and enjoying that grace look like in your situation? It's the best question we can ask people who are struggling with legalism, nationalism, classism, racism, any of these legalities that interfere with the gospel of grace. What does living out of the grace God has shown you look like if you look at that situation?
easy to do. Stand, let's finish in prayer this morning. God, I thank you for your word. The Gospels, the Epistles, the Old Testament. Whenever we read it, we can see examples of your abounding grace. And Lord, I pray that as we read it, we ask ourselves that question. What does your grace in my life look like as I live out of that? Enjoy that as I project that onto other people. Let me be a living fountain of your grace in this world. And all others who agreed said, Amen.